The False Prince, Chapter 35. I led Tobias and Rodin to an area of the tunnels I had discovered on my last trip. They went deeper than any others, and in one area placed us beneath Farthen Wood's main entrance. The rock foundation of the house was showing its age. Using small gaps in the mortar, we had a limited view outside. Since finding the tunnels, I'd felt that Farthen Wood was designed for a paranoid man who escaped or expected enemies to enter his walls. If Connor's father had built this house, he had no doubt made his son just as paranoid. From where we stood, we could see the approach of Veldegrath and his men. They were at least fifty in number, and each carried a sword. But they were still too far away from us to tell which of them was Veldegrath. It's an act of war for Veldegrath to do this, Tobias said. Only if Connor doesn't invite him in, which he's going to do, Rodin said. Connor thinks the army is only for intimidation, I said. We have no means to fight him, so hopefully Veldegrath only intends this to be a show of power, maybe to persuade Connor to join him if Carthia does fall to civil war. If Veldegrath wants the throne so badly, he won't give it up so easily, Rodin said. Whomever, whomever Connor declares as prince will eventually have to face Veldegrath. A moment of silence followed. That idea didn't appeal to any of us. Finally, Tobias said, if you hadn't already forced me out of this plan, Sage, I would have withdrawn right now. Ignoring Tobias, Rodin angled, uh, or Rodin angled forward to get a better look. That's got to be him, Rodin said. There, in the center. It was obvious by his fine clothes and the men who were surrounding him that this was Veldegrath. He had hair the color of midnight, which he wore pulled behind his head so tightly that I wondered how he could blink. His face was constructed of hard angles and long lines. I tried to imagine him as king of Carthia. If a person would, could be judged solely on appearances, this man was a tyrant. Connor walked out to Veldegrath, and they greeted each other with courteous bows. My old friend, Connor called out, loudly enough that they were, we were able to hear him. To what do I owe a pleasure, or what, to what do I owe the honor of your visit? I've heard troubling news about you, old friend. The way Veldegrath voiced old friend, it was clear he considered Connor anything but. May we speak in private? Certainly, in anticipation of your arrival, I've had my chef make up some soup for our traveling companions. They must be hungry. Perhaps we should eat first, Veldegrath said. I anticipate you feel less hospitable to me after we talk business. With that, Connor led Veldegrath and a few men inside, while the rest dismounted as Connor's servants assisted them for carrying their, in, in caring for their horses. Why does Connor help them? Rodin asked. I'd send them on their way. I'd give them soup, Tobias said, then grinned. I'd use the rottenest meat in my stores and hope they all got sick on it. It's diplomacy, I said, irritated that they couldn't see that. It's all Connor can do right now, and for all of our sakes, let's hope it works. Come on. They've, excuse me. They followed me up another bend in the tunnels to the main floor. We were near a secret door behind a tapestry in Connor's office, where they were certain to have their private meeting. Although their voices would be muffled, we could hear what we want or from where we stood. Tobias whispered, if they eat first, it'll be a while. So we waited. It was impossible to determine the passing of time here, although with the sting in my back and the ache in my legs, I probably felt longer than it really was. Tobias and Roden wanted to sit, but I reminded them that any position they took now they'd have to maintain for Connor and Veldegrath, and Veldegrath entered, or risk making a noise that would give us away. So we all stood in silence. After a long time, we heard Connor's voice as he entered the office. I always feel bad news is better handled on a full stomach, don't you agree? It's only bad news if you're up to starting or to something you shouldn't be. My fist clenched at Veldegrath's arrogance. Even if he was correct in his suspicions, Veldegrath wasn't king yet and had no right to question Connor. We heard the squeak of Connor's chair as he sat and his invitation for Veldegrath to sit as well. Then Connor said, You should explain yourself. Am I accused of doing something wrong? But the, the betrothed princess was here for dinner last night, correct? Yes, she's a lovely young woman. 
A bit distressed, though, at having heard news about the king's death, the deaths of King, Queen, and Prince Darius. She heard it only as a rumor. Veldegroth huffed. A rumor you and I both know to be fact. Obviously, you could not confirm or deny that to her. But she told me something else you said. Something that I find remarkable. You told her that Prince Jaren may be alive. I believe he is. We've sent three regents to Issel to determine this. Have you heard any news from them? No. Then how have you come to this stunning conclusion? Connor hesitated a moment, then said, Old friend, you have seemed distressed at the possibility. Don't you see what a great advantage it would be to have the king print... The kingdom of if Prince Jaren were alive, Eckbert's lines would or Eckbert's line would continue, and Carthia would be saved from certain war. Surely there could be no better news yet. You don't appear to welcome it. Er, of course. Veldegras seemed taken by surprise, but he recovered quickly. Of course, I hope the prince is alive, but you and I both know it's impossible. My question is not whether we should hope for the news, but how you have come to be so certain of it. Obviously, an accusation follows this question, so why don't we move straight to it? As you wish, Veldegrasse said. Master Connor, I'm told you have a sword made, a replica of one Prince Jaren used to carry. It was an imitation, not a replica. Sadly, I've recently lost it or I would show it to you. I had it made, intending it as a gift for the Queen's next birthday in honor of her lost son. There's more. I'm told in the previous week you, scour- you scoured the orphanages of Carthia and even collected a few boys. Why is that? Indentured field workers. My crops are planted and I needed them. Where are they? Ran away the first time my back was turned. If you know of their whereabouts, please tell me and I will have them punished. Lies fell from his lips as gracefully as raindrops of a cloud. There's one last thing. You sat with the king's family this supper, or at supper the night they died. Many regents did. But you were given the honor of pouring their drinks. Connor's voice remained calm, despite Veldegras' clear in, er, in situation that Connor was the one who had poisoned them. And you dished up their pudding, sir. Is there a point to these questions? Perhaps not. Are you aware that there is something missing from the residential quarters of the castle? A box covered with emeralds? My fingers rubbed over those emeralds. Connor must have stolen this box from the king and queen, either shortly before or after their deaths. I didn't know what was in it, but whatever this box contained, it was probably going to be used as proof for one of us, um, as Prince Jaren. You ask that as if you think I have it, Connor said. I'm certain that you'd never steal from the king, even a dead one. But we have friends who are less certain of your character. So to appease the other nobles who are suspicious of you, I ask your permission to search Farthenwood. Connor laughed. In a state of this size, and you hope to find an emerald-covered box? A box or a prince? Do I have your permission? Several of your men are rough-looking. They will frighten my staff. No harm will befall on any innocence here. Veldegrath inserted the word innocence. Veldegrath's insertion of the word innocence was calculated. That is my promise. Connor's voice was grim as he spoke. Do you or do what you will, Veldegrath. Waste your time in my dusty corners and crowded cellars if you want. You'll find nothing. We didn't dare move until Valdegrath had entered the room, when Tobias turned to me and hissed. You know these tunnels. Are they safe? All I could do was shrug. I don't know. Chapter 36. Veldegrath's men decided to begin in the dungeons and work their way up. So we made our way to the upper floor, keeping ourselves as far from the men as possible. This is a terrible idea, Tobias whispered as we walked. If they, do, if they do get into the tunnel, we'll be trapped. Then we go onto the roof and make her escape there, I said. Roden's eyes widened, but he nodded as agreement. Tobias seemed even more anxious. The roof and fall to our deaths? I've been there. We won't fall, I said. Then let's go now, Roden whispered. There's too much chance of us being spotted if they sent men to search the grounds or guard the door. Valdegrath is no fool, so we must 
expect that he's done that. Going on to the roof is our last option. We reached the upper floor using a tunnel that put us near the nursemaid's bedroom. I wondered if any children once lived there using the tunnels to play tricks on their caregivers. That's what I would have done. Temporarily safe from Veldegrath's men, Rodin nodded at the emerald box in my hand. Is that the box Veldegrath was talking about? Probably. What's in it? It's locked. You don't seem curious, Tobias said. I'd have to break the box to get into it here, and I won't do that. Whatever it contained, or whatever its contents, we'll find out soon enough. There was a moment of silence, and then Rodin asked, Sage, did you know you look so much like the prince? I always felt I looked more like myself than anyone else. I grinned, then shrugged. I'm too scared for a prince. Too many calluses, I'm sorry, too scarred for a prince. Too many calluses and rough edges. A similar face may not be enough. Besides, what we saw in a, is only a painting, an artist's interpretation of what Jaren looked like. Have either of you ever seen the royal family in person? Neither of them had. Rodin observed quite accurately the royalty never, rarely visited orphanage, if, orphanages or invited poor orphans to state dinners. The king came through Karcher about a year ago, I said, so I stood on the street to see him. He looked right at me as I passed. I could have sworn he did. Everyone was supposed to bow to him, but I didn't. Why not? Tobias asked. Honestly, Sage, have you no respect? An Avenian boy bowed to a Carthian king? Wouldn't that dishonor the king of Avenia? Tobias's groan was muffled by Rodin, who asked, so what happened? A soldier clubbed me across my calves, then, or that sent me to my knees, and I was in no hurry to get up again. For a moment, I thought King Eckbert would stop the entire procession, but he didn't. He only shook his head and continued on. Rodin chuckled softly. It's a wonder you've lived so long. If Connor doesn't choose you, it'll only be because you're too reckless to trust on the throne. I can't deny that. My point is that people don't always look the same in real life as they do in their paintings. My resemblance to a five-year-old painting doesn't matter. Facing the regents is the real test. We immediately fell silent with footsteps clambered up the stairs near us. How many? How many? Tobias smiled. I shook my head, maybe four or five men, but it was impossible to tell for sure. We heard several other men still on the floor below us. They spread out, each of them taking one area of the upper floor to search. One of Connor's servants was with them to open any locked door or cupboard. There's a lot of storage up here, one man said. All the better for a hiding place, another said. Check every trunk beneath every bed. He wouldn't hide a prince in a dusty room like this. We search everywhere, the first man ordered. My spirits lifted a little. There was no mention of the secret passageways, which would have been, uh, which there would have been if any entrances had been discovered. It didn't appear they even suspected the tunnels were in the house. Suddenly, Tobias grabbed my arm. He leaned very close to me and whispered, I hid the papers in our room. If they find them, they'll know we're here. I threw my hands out in a gesture to ask him where the papers were. He leaned in again. I cut a small hole in the side of my mattress. If they move it, feathers will fall out and they'll, they'll see the hole. He drew back with an apologetic look on his face, but I could only shake my head. Judging by the thoroughness of my search on this floor, it was too much a risk that they'd find those papers. I motioned for them to stay where they were. My feet moved quite quietly enough that I would pass through the tunnel undetected. Rodin and Tobias might not. I crept down the narrow stairs of the tunnel. One of the steps was loose, and I was concerned that when I pulled off the wood plank, it would make too much noise, like it had before. There were a few small squeaks, but I moved so slowly I didn't draw any attention. The imitation of Prince Jaren's sword was lodged inside. I hoped I wouldn't have to use it, but I wasn't about to go out there with, without a weapon of some sort. With the sword in my hand, I inched open the door to our bedroom. A few men still remained on our floor, but they seemed to be nearer to Connor's room. I didn't think they'd come my way yet. Our bedroom had been scrubbed of any evidence of our having been there. Now it looked like a little used guest room. 
The wardrobes were empty, our books were gone, and the beds were pushed into a line of three near the wall. Tobias's bed was the farthest from my hiding place. I crept along the floor, hardly suitable for a gentleman, or whatever Connor had turned me into, but very familiar with me as, or with, from my life as an orphan. Once in our conversation with Mrs. Turbledine, I compared myself to a caterpillar that went wherever I wanted with barely any notice. She compared me to Cockroach instead, who ran about freely in the darkness and scattered in the light. It was meant as an insult, but I thought it was a fair comparison, even a compliment judging by how hard they are to catch. I crawled beneath what had been my old bed, then Rodin's, finally to Tobias, a last in line. I was about to reach my arm up to feel around the mattress and then froze. Footsteps were coming down the stairs. We're going to search this floor now, the man said in charge, er, man in charge of the others said. Jolston, we need your men in here now, someone called from the hallway near Connor's room. There's a lot of heavy furniture in here. So we get the sore backs, and he gets the glory in whatever we find. Someone outside my bedroom complained, but they went away. I only had a few moments. It was simple to find the hole in Tobias's mattress. He, he'd cut it well so that it would always remain covered, so that no feathers would fall from it unless the mattress were overturned. The papers were right inside, tightly folded. I tucked them into my pocket and then crawled back to the doors. I was about to dart safely into the tunnels when a voice said, Did anyone hear that? Like footsteps inside the walls? I rolled my eyes. Was it Rodin's or Tobias's carelessness that would reveal us? It sounded as if the Imogen began to call out someone's name. Then he cried out in pain. I pressed myself against the wall. Only a second later, Imogen ran into my room looking for a place to hide. In her hands was a, fire, a fireplace poker. She must have hit the man with it. My heart pounded. Imogen had successfully distracted him from the tunnels, but she was about to pay dearly for having saved us. Uh-oh, what's gonna happen? I don't know.